Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for First St. Charles United Methodist Church in downtown St. Charles, Missouri. We are so glad that you're here, and it's our prayer that you feel safe, welcome, and wanted in this space. If you're interested in finding out more about us or supporting our ministries, you can connect with us online at firststcharlesumc.org. Today's scripture is from the book of Psalms, Psalm 8, and the book of Acts, chapter 2. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have founded a bulwark against your foes to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are humans that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them? Yet you have made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You have given them dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under their feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? This is God's word growing and living in us. Glory be to God. It seems to me that the song got it wrong. There's nothing easy about a Sunday morning, much less any morning or day given seriously to a life of faith. Even a cursory reading of Scripture tells us so. Open the pages of the Bible and you'll find Abraham struggling over a possible sacrifice of Isaac. Jacob wrestling with God on the banks of the Jabbok. There's David coming to terms with his own culpability. There's Job questioning God, interrogating even. And Jesus on bended knee with sweat like blood, struggling over the sacrifices facing Him. In fact, from the beginning of creation, the pattern seems set with God's very self, the Spirit of God, Genesis 1-2, moving across the face of the waters. An equally good translation has it brooding over the face of the waters. Does God look at the world and find it brood-worthy? Today, we continue our series on spiritual growth. Our growth in faith, we've said, is like rings on a tree and follows this fourfold pattern of growth. Simplicity, complexity, perplexity, harmony. After moving from a kind of simplicity in how we see the world to a view that understands the world's complexity, some of us find ourselves thrust further to a profound sense of perplexity. It's a movement not everyone makes. Indeed, many are we who in the 
face of a complex world doubled down on our needs for control, for simplicity. If the world is a mystery, we're determined by golly to manage it. Have you heard yourself saying, if I can just work harder, be more organized, be properly prepared, exert just the right amounts of control and authority. Have you heard the voice that says, if others would just get it right like me, all the world would be well. I suspect that many of us may need to go down this road for a bit to try our hand at having control. And it may just make us successful at some things. A lot of things do get done by people whose anxieties drive them to get it together. That same drive, however, is probably not so good for relationships. Has it been your experience that most people don't particularly like your bossing them around? Not everything or everyone is in our control. Go down this road if you need to, but sooner or later you'll find it a dead end. One possibility instead is to see the world in its perplexity. This is what captivates the psalmist, chapter 139. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them? A friend of mine and his wife had twin boys. The following week he reported, I've lived the last six days in a state of amazement. I've been gazing at miracles. I've wept, laughed out loud, done a lot of sighing. I've become a student, an expert of two baby boys, expert on the delicate curves of little ears, studied the tiniest little toes, witnessed a hundred expressions already on their faces, some of them hilarious. I've stared into brand new eyes that stared right back with disarming seriousness as if from another world. I felt on my cheek the softer than velvet softness of their infant faces. And I've seen a woman transformed another source of awe for me. There has been a fair degree of sadness this week, he reports. The boys have been sick. Not terribly, but enough to be intensive care and more separate from us and each other than we wanted. And we can't bring them home. And it's been sad to watch their discomfort and to see their mother burdened with her own illness on top of theirs. But I'm here to tell you, and I speak for my wife too, that whatever disappointments and sadness and fatigue we have felt is powerfully overridden by sheer amazement. We are in the grip of wonder and awe. 
And this outweighs everything. How much can our little setbacks matter when we are gazing at the miraculous? To gaze at the miraculous. To see the world in all its complexity and still be curious. This is the stage we're calling perplexity. Now, before you go and point it out to me, I know that there is something absolutely wrong and maybe hypocritical in jumping to chart out this stage. But for those of us who would like to get a better handle on it, for persons in this stage, the focus is on honest, authentic experience versus dishonest, inauthentic experience. We're not looking at whether things are right or wrong, successful or a failure. We're asking, is it honest? Is it authentic? And we're seeing through appearances to reality, being honest. We look for hidden agendas and don't take everyone or everything at face value. We assume that everyone has a viewpoint or opinion, and we recognize that most often there are many ways to look at an issue. Things aren't just black and white or in shades of gray. There is a many-colored spectrum to life. Our authority figures at this stage, we're suspicious of people who manipulate or control and the naive and the trusting. We tend to look critically at authority figures, figuring that they are human at best. And in terms of our connectedness to others, we seek out those we find to be the most honest, thoughtful individuals. At the same time, we see ourselves as honest, authentic, transparent. And for us at this stage, the core question, what's the hidden agenda or bias for which I need to be suspicious? We're always, if you will, looking under the hood, trying to suss out what's really going on under the surface of things. God, in this stage of life, is seen as a mystery. Perhaps that same suspicion can turn to awe as God is seen as holy mystery. Or as the Gospel of Thomas puts it, split a piece of wood, I am there. Lift up a stone and you will find me there. And the mistake at this point is failure to question or challenge or think critically. Like all of the stages of spiritual growth, there are strengths and there are weaknesses. The strength at this stage is our honesty, our curiosity, our critical thinking. The weakness is we can appear aloof, uncommitted, cynical, suspicious, elitist, and at times depressed. In fact, each stage of faith 
has its pitfalls. At its blazing best, the path of this stage moves us from prose to poetry, from petitioning God to praising God. That was a pretty packed statement, so let me repeat it. The path of this stage moves us from prose to poetry, from petitioning God to praising God. As Charles Wesley put it, at this stage we are lost in wonder, love, and praise. And it would be totally antithetical to this stage if I were to share some formula for it. But I do think that there are some ways that we can point the way to perplexity, to how we might cultivate a holy sense of curiosity. Perplexity starts by assuming a posture of humility that receives the world as grace. Everything, says David Stendhal Rast, is a gift. The degree to which we are awake to this truth is a measure of our gratefulness, and gratefulness is a measure of our aliveness. Perplexity works harder developing more and better questions than it does asserting answers. The writer Archibald McLeish became famous for his play J.B., a modern take on the book of Job. He once observed that religion is at its best when it makes us ask hard questions of ourselves. It's at its worst when it deludes us into thinking that we have all the answers for everybody else. At this stage, we're asking hard questions, better questions, in the quest to be the person God created us to be. You may find yourself spending time pondering the poetic. As Mary Oliver gives witness, am I no longer young and still not half-perfect? Let me keep my mind on what matters, which is my work, which is mostly standing still and learning to be astonished. Or perhaps, and this is the fourth pointer, perhaps perplexity comes in the wonder of nature as those wild and untamed people called the Celts knew God has given us two holy books, one in Scripture, the other in nature. Wendell Berry is a farmer writer, not former writer, but someone who farms and writes, and in between pays attention. As he tells it, horseback on Sunday morning, harvest over, we taste persimmon and wild grape sharp sweet of summer's end. In time's maze over fall fields, we name names that went west from here, names that rest on graves. 
we open a persimmon seed to find the tree that stands in promise, pale in the seed's marrow. Geese appear over us, pass, and the sky closes, abandoned as in love or sleep, holds them to their way, clear in the ancient faith, what we need is here. And we pray not for a new heaven or earth, but to be quiet in heart and in eye, clear, what we need is here. What we need is here. In humility and grace, in questions more than answers, in poetry rather than prose, in the world of nature, the perplexed find an abundance of meaning and cultivate a holy curiosity. But from the Bible, we know that this stage of growth is ultimately not dependent on us. Finally comes the Spirit. Finally comes the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the untamed, uncontrollable, Pentecostal Spirit of God. Where precisely this wind blows, no one knows. But when it does, all are amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? May the Spirit fall on you like the question that hangs most firmly on your hearts.